everyone. Welcome back for another episode of the Joy and Infertility Podcast. I'm your host, Kaylee Porter, and my hope is that you will join me on this road of finding joy, even in infertility. Today, I'm interviewing Lauren Citro from Grow My Family on Instagram. If you're not following her yet, go do it now. Lauren's story covers the infertility gamut. Most medical abbreviations, she's walked through them, and yet, as you will hear, no miracle yet. But what I love about Lauren, other than how genuinely kind and encouraging she has been to me personally, as well as many others, is that she is determined to not only walk through this with inner joy, but also outward, genuine happiness. She will explain more in our talk about what that means to her and how she got there, but one of the biggest tools she uses in this journey is what she calls doing gratitude. You're fighting the negative emotion with an action. Um, And what I used to do sometimes is, like if I was fighting fear, I would just be like, don't be afraid. And I would just like tell myself like to do the opposite. And it wasn't super effective. So going instead to being like, okay, I'm feeling anxious. I'm gonna focus on gratitude. It's hard to feel anxious and grateful at the same time. It's hard to feel afraid and grateful. It's hard to feel bitter and grateful at the same time. As you'll hear Lauren explain, she found a large part of her community and support through Instagram. And that's actually how we found each other. And Lauren, I'm so glad we did. I really enjoyed our chat and I can't wait for all of you to hear it now. And we jump right in because we have a lot to cover. Hey Lauren, welcome to the podcast. Hey there, I'm so excited to be here. So why don't you tell us a little bit about you and your husband? Sure, so my husband is Andrew and we've been married for almost seven years. Um, It's kind of been go, go, go for us ever since we met. So we met in winter 2010 and then we started dating in spring of 2011 and we had this whirlwind romance, just fell in love really fast. It was kind of one of those things where when you know, you know, mm-hmm. and we got engaged really quickly. And then by December of that year, I was walking down the aisle. We were getting married. It was really quick. And then um, six months after that, we moved away from my hometown. And that was the first of many moves for us. We've actually moved six times in six years. Um, and we are now currently living in San Diego. Um, and I am hoping that we are not moving again. I really, (laughs) really love it here. Um, so our, yeah, our story has been, it has felt like we have been in go mode since the second we met. And, um, this season living in San Diego has been really, really nice because, we can take walks on the beach and we can go hang out by the pool and it's fantastic weather all the time. So we are really, really enjoying this season that feels totally different from the rest of our marriage. How long have you guys been in San Diego? We've been in San Diego since February. So I don't even know. Well, you have fallen in love quick. I know. Yeah. It's been (laughs) awesome. (laughs) It's it's yeah, it's been a lot. So is it your husband's job that moves you around? It is. Um, it's been his work. He has had some internal transfers and then also just some other opportunities with various companies that have moved us around. And, um, it's always been places that we were interested in living in. Um, 
And we kind of knew when we first got married that we might kind of hop around a lot. I think that once we actually did get married and started moving a lot, it it was different in practicality. Because at first I was like, oh yeah, sure. Like, I think we're going to move a lot. And then when you're actually doing it, um, you're like, wow, this is really exhausting. But it's also been really fun. It's been an adventure because we've moved so many places where the only people we knew were each other. Mm -hmm. And so whereas I love having friends in a city as well, it's been sweet for us to have alone time together where it's just him and me taking on the world. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. And it's also cool with making friendships in all those different cities. You always have places to go and people to stay with and people to connect with as you move through life. I think that's a really big benefit of moving around a little bit. It really is. It's funny because we really weren't anywhere long enough to make super, super deep, long-lasting friendships and community. But in every city, there is someone who um, I would want to connect with if I w- mm-hmm. went back. So God provided friendships and relationships in every every single one of our moves. So infertility, moving around, that can be fun, <laughs> having to reestablish. So what's what's your journey looked like so far? Okay. Yeah. It has been all over the place because we've been all over the place. Right. So, you know, we got married so fast. We weren't thinking about kids at the beginning. I'm, we always wanted to have a family, but we set a timeline for ourselves. We said, you know, within two to three years after we get married, we'll start trying. And, um, so, And we were really committed to like no surprise pregnancies. We were very careful. I was convinced, you know, that getting pregnant was super, super easy. So I was over the top careful that we weren't going to have any, any surprise pregnancies. And I know, oh, how things change. (laughs) Um, You never know though. You never know. (laughs) Yeah, you really don't. Um, So a, a little bit before our two year anniversary, We were a little bit ahead of schedule, but we decided that we wanted to start trying. And, um, you know, I was expecting 110% the first month. That was it. Um, So even that first month when it didn't happen, it was, it was disappointing and a little bit confusing to me, but obviously I knew this is normal. We kept trying. Um, And after about close to a year, I was kind of really starting to get concerned and, um, I work in healthcare. And so, so my mind kind of goes to like, okay, what could be wrong and how do you fix it? So I went to my primary care doctor, she ordered some tests. Um, and that was like that day that she ordered tests kind of like opened a floodgate of like, we just started down this path of infertility treatments and didn't stop. And, Mm. you know, at first it seemed simple, like, okay, it's going to be a Clomid. And like, you just do around a Clomid and you're going to be pregnant probably with twins. And I'm like, okay, well we can handle that. Like, you know, you pop a Clomid and then, you know, that doesn't work and you move on to an IUI. So we did Clomid and IUI while we were living in Arizona. And, um, after our IUIs failed, it was the same time that we were, um, I was packing up my house. We were selling our house and we were getting ready to move, um, to Silicon Valley. So we moved up there knowing that we had done three failed um, Clomid cycles, three failed IUI cycles, 
and um, we found a clinic up there to do IVF and um, really felt like, you know, it's been hard, but this is going to be a home run. Like we're both How can young. It not work? Yeah, exactly. Like we're both young. We're both healthy. There's so much in our favor and there's no family history of anything. And, um, and during that time I found out that I had diminished ovarian reserve. Um, so less, less eggs or less potential for eggs in my ovaries than somebody else my age would have. Um, and that was super, super disappointing. But even so, my doctor told me, you know, everything looks good. You know, we might not get quite as many follicles as we want, but, you know, this is, this is still looking very positive. So we did that IVF cycle. I did a fresh transfer. I got my first positive pregnancy test, um, but no baby from that um, at a chemical pregnancy. Mm. Um, and I mean, completely heartbreaking, but we're still kind of in the beginning where it kind of felt like, okay, you just keep going. Like you just have this momentum. And how so, did you, sorry, sorry to kind of break the rhythm there, but how, cause I had a chemical pregnancy and it was very hard to process that because they don't, it's almost like the doctors just kind of whiz by it, but then they also mentioned miscarriage. How did you, how did you handle it? Gosh, that's a good question. It was, it was difficult. Um, I, I mean, a chemical pregnancy is just a really early miscarriage. It's just like a more exact term for a really early miscarriage. And, um, mine felt, I mean, to me, mine felt really traumatic. I know that probably everybody's does. Mine felt particularly traumatic, for me, because I had super heavy bleeding at the same time as my pregnancy test. Um, and so it was just like this, like sure sign to me that something was very, very wrong, but my doctor was still telling me, you know, like some people bleed during their early pregnancy. It can happen, you know, don't give up hope. And so I was really in this, like this limbo, limbo tension. And, um, and I did have some kind of unique complications where my beta, like the amount of the pregnancy hormone in my blood didn't resolve. It should drop down. And mine mm-hmm. was like staying steady and steadily rising for oh, wow. over the course of several weeks. And so it was a really long drawn out process. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a long drawn out process of grief as well. For me, I fall in love with my embryos. Um, I know everybody can, like approaches IVF differently, but like as soon as I know that my eggs have fertilized and we have embryos, like those are my future children to me. And mm-hmm. so um, it is it's such a loss. Even though we never got to see, you know, see a heartbeat or like get to the ultrasound or even have a doubling beta. We never got that far. As soon as I know that those embryos exist, I love them. And as soon as they put them in me, to me, I'm pregnant. Um, and I know it's not a scientific pregnancy, but in my heart, it absolutely is. Um, so it, for me, it was grieving a really significant loss. So after that chemical pregnancy, I needed 
um, another cycle to recover physically before they would let me do anything else. And during that time, we found out we were going to be moving to Los Angeles. So packing up everything, kind of like starting to look for places to live in LA. And we were planning on a frozen embryo transfer because I had two frozen embryos um, from that first IVF cycle. So we transferred those embryos and moved down to LA. And I took my pregnancy test once I got down there and it was just completely negative. And so we were out of embryos, we're completely out an entire IVF cycle, um, and just starting to feel like pretty exhausting, but I still had that momentum. I actually ended up keeping that momentum for a long time, (laughs) but so we like powered through, we found a doctor in LA, um, you know, we, this time we were like, okay, we're smarter this time. We know more of what to look for. We know what questions to ask. Um, you know, it'll be third times the charm when we do this transfer. And we ended up having a horrific cycle. Nothing went right. Um, as far as my like personal relationship with the doctor and the clinic, we did not have the rapport that I was expecting or that I was used to at all. Um, And we didn't get near the results that we were hoping for. We only ended up with two mature eggs, which is a really small amount for somebody my age. And um, we did a transfer and that resulted in a negative pregnancy test as well. So we, again, did this whole IVF cycle and were completely out of embryos and needing to start over. So at this point, Uh, we started looking outside of where we were living and just doing research. So we found this doctor in Las Vegas and we decided to switch strategies and look at it from more of a long-term perspective. And so we decided to do embryo banking. So we would do a retrieval and instead of going straight into a transfer, we would freeze all of the embryos, have them PGS tested. Um, And then once we got enough embryos, you know, we would just keep doing these IVF retrievals again and again until we had enough where we felt like, you know, this is enough for us, for our whole family. Um, you know, down the road, we'll transfer more, we'll have more kids. Um, and then at that point we would do a transfer. So we had a really intense year last year where we were traveling back and forth between Los Angeles and Las Vegas. Um, I was working two jobs in LA and um, somehow still traveling every other month to do these retrievals. And every retrieval that we did, it was just this roller coaster of emotion because you're so hopeful, you're so excited, and then you get your results. And every time it just wasn't the number we were hoping for, we were getting a lot, a lot lower number of embryos than we were expecting. And, um, So every time we would get that low number, we were faced with a decision about whether or not we were going to move into a transfer or go ahead and do another retrieval. So I ended up doing four total retrievals last year, which looking back is quite a lot. I don't actually know how I did that. It's really, really hard on your body, your mind, your emotions. It was a ton. Um, But we finally got to the point where we felt excited and ready and peaceful about doing, um, a transfer. And it was actually this time last year 
Um, and we decided we were going to transfer to PGS normal embryos, which would give us PG is what PGS. So PGS is the genetic screening that they do to make sure that the embryos have the right number of chromosomes and that gives them a better chance of survival. Right. So, um, we decided we were going to transfer these two embryos I mean, obviously, after everything we went through, we were so excited um, and super peaceful. We had prayed over this decision so much. Um, I had so much support from friends and family and so many people praying for us. And we actually, during the time that we were preparing to do our transfer, found out that we had an opportunity to be moving to San Diego. And so... We started preparing to move to San Diego at the same time that we were preparing for our transfer. And um, we did our transfer, and then we came down to San Diego to do some house hunting and found out that I had had another chemical pregnancy. So obviously incredibly heartbreaking, confusing, disappointing, Um. I think confusing is one of the actually predominant feelings is it just feels like, how could this not have worked? Um, And we felt so peaceful about it and it felt so right. Um, So at that point, that's when my momentum ran out, which I think was probably an appropriate time for that to happen. It was probably overdue. Um, And we just realized we severely need a break. And, um, my doctor was still optimistic. He was ready to try again. He's like, let's get you in here next month. We'll do another one. And it was a hard, hard no from me. Uh, I knew that that was not going to be an option at this point. And so we just kind of made a decision after that, that we were going to let ourselves grieve and kind of just take it day by day. Um, so we we just kind of have been letting ourselves heal and not feeling that push to get back into treatment right away. Treatment is definitely something that is still in our future because we have frozen embryos um, and we don't want to leave them behind. We definitely want to give those embryos a chance to come home with us and um, hopefully get a chance to meet those babies. But at this point, we're, we're taking a break. And I didn't know how long it would last. I kind of thought like, you know, maybe it'll be a few months, especially because, you know, I had so much momentum before and like, I really had not gone very long without doing some sort of treatment. So I thought certainly like I'll be back in the game in like two to three months max. Mm -hmm. Um, and it has taken longer than that. Um, but I feel really peaceful in this season. It's actually been a really sweet season of healing for us. And I feel very, very confident that when the time is right for us to move forward again, and for us to make another decision that we're going to be on the same page and we're going to do it together and we're going to feel peaceful about it. And I, I know God has led us to every single one of the decisions we've made so far and we've faced choices and decisions that we never wanted to have to make. Um, things that your typical couple is never going to ever have to discuss there are options laid out in front of us that are just unpleasant choices. And, but every single time we've had to face one of those decisions, 
God's been there with us. We've felt peace. We've been on the same page and, um, and we've felt peaceful after our decisions as well, even for the ones that haven't worked out. So I feel very confident that we're going to get there to the point where we're comfortable making a decision again. But for right now, I'm kind of enjoying the fact that I'm not on a ton of hormones and that I can go to the beach whenever I want. <laughs> yes, that sounds delightful. I, um, I, love, I love how you reminded us that we making those decisions together is important, but also praying about them because I feel I, I've, I've, I've verbalized that too, that when you're going through infertility, you have to ask yourself questions. You have to make decisions that the typical couple does not have to do because they just want to get pregnant. They get pregnant and it happens. So obviously it was God's timing for that baby for them. But for us, is it God's timing for us to step into this decision or is it us is it his timing for us to wait? Like I feel like there's so much there's so many decisions that we have to partner with him on that you wouldn't have to do if infertility wasn't your issue. Is it time to rest or is it time to push? Is it time to do IUI or is it time to do IVF? It's there's just so many things. And then the the ethical decisions that you have to make along the way are very intense. Um so I love how you how you said that you guys prayed about every decision and made those decisions together. And right now you're in a season of rest and that's going to change eventually, but you're praying about when that moment is going to happen. So Lauren, you wrote on your blog that you had no intentions of ever going public with your story until it was over, meaning until you had your miracle baby. But then you shared, maybe the testimony isn't how the journey ends, but in the journey itself. So how did you go from not sharing at all to sharing you started a blog, you have a pretty big following on Instagram, and you lead a moms in the making support group. So you went from not sharing to all of those things. So how did that happen for you? It, it makes me laugh, actually, when you read that quote to me, because I wrote it so long ago that I, I barely recognize the words. I'm like, mm, yeah, that's good. <laughs> um, did I write that? <laughs> yeah, did I write that? Um, but the funny thing is, is that when I wrote it, I was in such a different space. I wrote that, um, before my first IVF cycle and I'm glad I did because I think that if I hadn't, it would have been easy to really try to shut down, uh, especially as we hit all of these disappointments, but setting that intention of, I'm going to share the journey has actually been super beneficial to me and, Amazingly, it's been an encouragement to other people too, which blows my mind. Um, but yeah, I really did not have the intention of going public. And, you know, I think there's different versions of going public for people who are listening who like haven't shared their story with anyone. Um, you know, I don't intentionally market my blog or my Instagram to people from my Facebook page who I went to high school with, like people from back home. Like, I'm not constantly putting out there, like going to get an ultrasound today. Um, I kind of created my own separate corner of the universe (laughs) or of like Mm -hmm. the interwebs that, um, that, you know, people are welcome to come find it. And mostly the people who have found it are people who are walking through a similar journey. Um, but it was almost quite an accident to be honest 
one of my friends had been getting into Instagram for business purposes and she was kind of like, well, you should really like start an Instagram. And, um, and so I did kind of like not knowing exactly what it was going to become, but kind of being like, well, I kind of want to learn how to like do Instagram. And it changed from that goal so quickly into this goal of like, wow, there are people online who are walking the same thing I'm walking through, praying the same prayers I'm praying, who are supporting one another. And I thought that I was like pretty unique in this and really alone in this. Mm -hmm. And actually like this story is being told all around the globe of women who are praying for their miracle and doing IVF and doing these hard things. So, um, kind of, yeah, one thing led to another with that. And, um, I've connected with so many women, including, um, the moms in the making group. And so that led me to be able to do a support group here in San Diego. Um, and then, you know, I've been blogging a little bit less lately just in the season, but, um, my blog kind of became my, my public journal. Um, Mm -hmm. if, when you ever read a post, it's very, um, it's a lot less of like 10 things I wish I knew, I knew about infertility, which is probably a post I'll do at some point. And a lot more of like, this is basically my journal. (laughs) Like this is, this is like me really like working through some of my emotions. And, um, it's been really interesting to share that it's not something that, you know, millions of people read, which is probably good because I think it's a pretty vulnerable thing, but it seems like when people do connect with it, it's something really special because people are looking for a story that's similar to theirs. Um, and I know that because that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for somebody looking around saying like, who else has survived this and who Mm -hmm. else has thrived in this and how are you doing it? Um, and like, let's swap secrets Mm -hmm. because this is a hard thing. It's not something that everyone has to go through. Um, and it's really still a minor, even though it's, it it is common, it's still a minority of couples who are going through this. And so like, let's get together and figure out how we get through this the best way possible. And so it's been really, really sweet having this Instagram community and it's been nice because it's come with me on all my moves. They don't right. even care that I have moved. Right. <laughs> it makes no difference to any of my friends who I only know via Instagram. So what surprised you the most about sharing your story? Um, I, think, I think not just my story, but just being in the process of sharing my story and hearing other people's stories is just how valuable It is. Uh, And I was thinking this morning just that the Bible is full of stories. And so there must be something to telling our stories. There's something significant in there. Um, And I found that for myself. One of the first accounts that I found on Instagram, somebody that probably a lot of your listeners follow is Chelsea819. Um, she's Chelsea. coming on in a couple weeks. Oh, she is. She's fantastic. Yeah. Um, she's a dear friend. So, um, Chelsea was the first person who I ever saw on Instagram who was talking about infertility without stigma, without shame, 
I'm sure she was nervous because she was going through some treatment cycles at the time, but um, she kind of presented it in a way of like, hey, this is hard, but it doesn't have to take you out. And Mm. that's kind of like what I felt like in sharing my story is twofold. Like I really want people to know how hard it is one for like compassion towards the infertility community so that the people who are supporting us can know like, Hey, this isn't just something you can like snap your fingers and get over, but also so that people feel solidarity. So they don't feel like, you know, like there's something wrong with them if they are finding themselves bursting into tears when they see a Johnson and Johnson baby commercial, like to know Mm. that like that happens to other people is, is so important. And then also the thing that's more important is to know that, yeah, it is hard, but it is survivable. It is doable and it is not something that's bigger than God. And when you put your faith and your trust in him, he's going to get you through it. And you might get some bumps and bruises along the way, but he's still bigger and there is still hope. And there's still a happy life out there. Um, So I just love sharing that in my story. And I love hearing that from other people. And I, I just love the connection that it's made as you're kind of just seeing people go through their journey. It's inspiring for me. It's always encouraging for me. And it has been so sweet that I have made genuine friendships with people from all around the globe. Do you have a do you have a story of like something that just made you just something weird that made you completely break down that you thought you were the craziest person on earth for doing it? Okay, let me think about this for a second. Cuz I'm like now that you put me on the spot but I'm like I know that there's like a million. One common one that happens to me is that I will break down watching um puppy videos. And yeah, and nothing, it has nothing to do with a baby, but I just like see the sweet puppy and I feel like I need something to love and to hold. And like my arms feel empty watching this puppy. Like I, I, and maybe that means we need to get a dog, but we travel a lot and it's, (laughs) I I mean, that doesn't take a lot of like treatment. (laughs) But, um, we've kind of decided against that for the time being. But, and I just feel like a dog won't be as satisfying as a real baby. (laughs) Um, No, we, we tried that too. It didn't work as well. (laughs) Um, yeah, but I just feel like, oh, my heart hurts. Um, and then, well, here is an interesting thing. Um, but I think that our bodies can, um, they like hold memories and they hold memories of emotions. And so there is a part of my drive, driving home from the gym. And probably like every two or three weeks, I'll hit the same spot and the same stoplight and all of a sudden just be overcome with emotion. Um, and will cry for like hard tears for less than five seconds, but like, it just like feels like sobbing and then it just stops. I don't even know if we should include this. This is so weird and vulnerable. <laughs> Did something happen in that spot? That's a great question. So I've been trying to figure out if there's something that happened at that spot. And honestly, the next time I drive by, I probably just need to pray about it and just ask God, like, 
if, um, like it's probably that at some point earlier I had a trigger that mm-hmm. triggered some grief. And every time I drive past it, I remember the grief, mm-hmm. but I don't have a specific thing. I think it's completely, I think that is normal because there are spots that if I have had a deep, a deep emotional moment, it, you just, you just feel it again. Cause it just triggers it. I think that's, I think that's very accurate. Um, yeah. I, I mean, there's been so many times like I've cried on the bathroom floor. Finding out that my ovarian reserve was low was extremely traumatizing for me at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, That was like a, you couldn't peel me off the bathroom floor situation. Yeah. Just not making me sound like I have any faith. (laughs) We, I think, no, no, I refuse to hear that. Nope. This is completely real. This is what, this is, this is infertility on one second. God is good. I trust him no matter what. And then the next second, why is she pregnant? And I'm not, why is this not positive? Like when is this, this is never going to happen for us. It's, it's just, it's a moment by moment choice. And sometimes the moment gets away from you. Absolutely. But the great thing is, is that like, there's always the next moment. Mm -hmm. And so I do try not to beat myself up for those moments where I didn't choose faith in that moment you know, some days you're going to end up in tears and some days it's a healthy cry. And some days you might push back, like push past the healthy cry into a self-pity cry. And when you realize you've done that, you, you just make a decision to not do that next time. Yeah. And, um, we're human. He made us human. We are like, we are never going to make the decision to always fully just trust and obey and live in faith. That's just not, we're not, we are human. We're not God. Absolutely. It's a fantastic goal though. And something that like, I'm absolutely always striving for and then not beating myself up in the meantime, when it turns out, you know, I had a bad day. I didn't choose the healthiest of coping mechanisms that day. Um, and I think it also, God uses those moments to make us more relatable. If we were always living in faith and telling everyone how great God is and how, you know, this is, you know, we can do all things through him, just trust and believe him. It's, very hard for the average person to relate to that. You obviously, because it feels like you don't feel anything. You don't have moments that you're crying on the bathroom floor and living in self pity. You must not feel those things. So I can never relate to you. But uh, yeah, can, absolutely. Can. That's the like amazing part about sharing our stories and why I've kind of chosen to be vulnerable when I do post a blog. Like of just saying like how bad this hurts. Um, because at the end, when I say like, but I'm going to choose to trust God anyway, I want that choice to mean something. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, it doesn't mean anything if like life's always fantastic and sure, it's easy to say like, okay, I'm going to be thankful if every single thing has fallen into place, but it's when things go wrong that that choice to have faith, that choice to be grateful and express gratitude that's the time that like that choice really means something. You mentioned your, um, you mentioned your mom's in the making support group and that's with, um, Caroline Harry's ministry in due time, mom's in the making conference. So would you, they're all over the country too, right? There's multiple, multiple ones. Can you tell us a little bit about what that, what does a typical night of your support group look like? Yeah, absolutely. I, 
I'm probably a little biased, but I do think that we have the best support group here in San Diego. (laughs) (laughs) I hear the other ones are great too. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure they're all fantastic. I would love to be able to tour the country and go to all of them. Um, I am particularly partial to the women who are in our group. I really, really love them. It's been so sweet to see answered prayers, to see miracles happening. Um, So we meet in my home twice a month for um, about two hours. And so um, our meetings happen on Tuesdays. And um, so we'll gather in my house. I normally make a snack. It's normally gluten-free, dairy-free cookies. (laughs) And um, we always, you know, start off um, with prayer because it's all about God. Um, at our meetings and then we'll do updates from all the women. Um, and it's a really, really sweet time to hear what's going on in everybody's lives. And everyone in the group is at a different point in their journey. Some people have been trying for about a year. They're just starting testing. Some, uh, women are going through secondary infertility. Some are doing IVF. Some are feeling called to wait. Um, one of our women just did an embryo adoption. So, um, just like all different types of types of journeys, everybody's in a different spot. And so we always kind of structure our updates around a prayer and a praise. So something that, you know, you have going on, whether it be a test that you have coming up or a fear that you're dealing with, something that we can partner with you with for prayer and then a praise of expressing a gratitude, something that we can all celebrate and rejoice together. I love that. Um, and then for the past several months, we've been going through a devotional. We've been going through Caroline's devotional, actually. And so the different women will um, volunteer to lead a chapter and kind of share what's going on in their heart, how, how that chapter related to what they're going through this week. And we really just, it's a very organic conversation. Um, we never have like specific questions that we're answering. We're just kind of sharing what stood out to us, maybe what made us uncomfortable, what was challenging, um, you know, what was encouraging And if it brings up a trigger of grief for someone or a fear for someone, we'll stop and we'll pray about it right then, or we'll talk it out right then. Um, So it's really an opportunity to grow during those conversations. Um, And then we normally try to end the meeting with prayer again. um, Sometimes we'll break up into smaller groups and pray for one another. We'll kind of do it differently, you know, kind of depending on the night. but it's a really, really sweet group. And I wanted to mention a lot of times people will ask me when I tell them I have an infertility support group, they'll say, well, you know, like, is it like a giant sob fest or is it like a big giant pity party? Like, you know, like, is it just depressing or whatever? And the answer is no. Um, it's absolutely not that at all because our focus is so on, rejoicing and it's on hope. And do we cry? Yes, absolutely. Like I always have a fresh box of tissues out because like certainly things are going to come up during these discussions that hurt. And I mean, we're going to cry, but that's not the focus. The focus isn't on how bad 
our problem is. The focus is on how good God is and how he loves us and how he can come in and heal those broken heart, our broken hearts. And, um, you know, it's like just really, it's a really sweet opportunity to be able to say like, we see you, God sees you and there's hope. So I have always left our meetings with more hope and more encouragement than I came in. Uh, It's never been like a sad pity party. It's really, really all about rejoicing and rejoicing ahead of time too. I love that. And I'm sure that there's a, is there a place on Caroline's website to look up if there's any in your area? Absolutely. Yes. You can look up, there's a full map. Um, so you, and we have several groups that just launched, I want to say last month. So even if there weren't groups, if somebody checked, you know, say three or four months ago and there weren't any groups, check again mm-hmm. because more have been added. And I mean, my goodness, just start one. Like you don't have to, it doesn't have to be a moms in the making group. Just start a group of women, start a small group where you're just talking about, you can go through Caroline's devotional, you can go through a different book. You can, you could discuss the podcast every other week. I mean, there's so many things you can do and just to be there. And I love what you said about that. You're, you're there to rejoice and to, to also pray together, but like you're always, you always leave with hope. And I love that. Love it. So you're super passionate about encouraging others on this TTC journey. What is something that's really been on your heart lately? You know, so something that's been on my heart and it might sound a little bit cliche just based on the fact that your podcast is joy and infertility, (laughs) but I have had a lot of breakthrough lately in the area of joy in my life and realizing that there can be joy in the weight. Um, and it really stems from gratitude. Um, that's kind of what I keep coming back to. And, you know, I kind of actually going into this break, I can't, I came into it kicking and screaming. Like I did not want to stop, but I, it was very clear I needed to take a break, but, um, I had heard that phrase, and I'm sure everybody's heard it before, is happiness is based on what happens to you, and joy is regardless of your circumstance, and which I absolutely believe is true. However, that got kind of twisted in my mind to the point where I felt like because what I was hoping for happening didn't happen, I cannot be happy. Um... And, and I understood that I could be joyful, but to me, it kind of became this idea of joy only exists if you're sitting in misery and you have to be like, make this choice to be joyful within misery. Um, and it didn't really dawn on me that like my circumstances could also reflect the joy that's in my life. Um, So I was kind of stuck in this unhealthy mindset that like happiness is fun and enjoyable, but I can't have that. All I can have is joy. And that takes a lot of work. And, Mm -hmm. um, and so basically I was just stuck in this cycle where anything I was choosing joy, I was like, okay, I choose joy, 
but then I would just remind myself like, and I'm choosing it because my circumstances are miserable. Um, and that's why I have to make a choice is because everything's miserable. Um, but I changed my mindset and I just realized like, okay, I'm going to choose to be happy and, um, whether or not you want to kind of distinguish happiness versus joy. But I just decided like, I'm going to enjoy what is around me. Um, and this was, this is actually getting to the healthier mindset of what that phrase actually is trying to intend to say. So I'm like stuck in this pattern. I make this choice, um, that I'm not going to hold myself hostage to unhappiness anymore. Um, because I was just like fighting this losing battle where I felt like I was choosing joy, but I wouldn't actually let myself have the freedom to experience the emotions that came with it. I just kind of made a choice to start to see all the positive parts in life and, um, started focusing on gratitude. And when I started doing that, all of a sudden I realized like life is good. It's not what I wanted. It's not what I expected. It's we've faced parts of our story and our journey that we would have never chosen for ourselves, but life is good and I can enjoy my life. And so then it gets to like the real joy is that real joy isn't being like, oh, well, I'm going to say I'm joyful despite all these circumstances. It's going to say like, hey, despite all these circumstances, there is still so much to be grateful for. And I'm going to focus on those things. And gratitude just opens the door to so much. Um, It is a spiritual principle in Psalms. It says, to enter his gates with thanksgiving. So, like you know, like if you are feeling far away from God, start with thanksgiving. Start with gratitude. Um, mm-hmm. That's how you enter into his gates. Um, and then, you know, it says later, like be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, make your request known to God. And then it goes on to say, it says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And so that thanksgiving part, it's a cure for anxiety saying, don't be anxious, but come before God with thanksgiving. Um, And that's in Philippians. Um, So gratitude has become my go-to for pretty much every negative emotion. If I am feeling sad, I go to gratitude. If I'm feeling anxious, I go to gratitude. If I'm feeling fear, I go to gratitude. Um, and it's a great strategy because, because you're, you're fighting, you're fighting the negative emotion with an action Um, and what I used to do sometimes is like, if I was fighting fear, I would just be like, don't be afraid. And I would just like tell myself like to do the opposite. And it wasn't super effective. Um, Mm -hmm. so going instead to being like, okay, I'm feeling anxious. I'm going to focus on gratitude. It's hard to feel anxious and grateful at the same time. It's hard to feel afraid and grateful. It's hard to feel bitter and grateful at the same time. Um, Mm -hmm. Not that those two things can't kind of coexist, but 
you're kind of making a choice when you're, if I'm going to sit in bitterness or am I going to sit in gratitude? (laughs) And, um, so choosing gratitude is something that's super important. And it's something that you can do no matter what stage of the journey you're in. Um, if you're in the middle of an IVF cycle, I pray blessings on you right now because I know it's hard. Um, and it is a completely type different type of hard than, than anything else really in the world. <laughs> but you can do gratitude during that time. It, you may be exhausted. It may be a lot more trying, but you can still do gratitude. And if you're in the, like, you're like me, you're on a break, you get to go to the beach. There are fun things happening in your life. You can do gratitude then. Um, it really, it fits into every season and it's the thing that allows us to really experience that joy. I I had a mentor once and I may completely botch this, but it just, the whole time you're talking, it just took me back to that, what she was, she had told us, she quoted the verse in, I think it's Isaiah about beauty for ashes. And that, that had kind of been floating around in her spirit. And she just was like, okay, God, why are you keep bringing this up? Because she just kept having that, like, she had this thing that she had moved on past and she was like, I've already moved on. I've already forgiven that. Um, and he just told her, she just felt him say, well, you have, but you haven't given it to me yet. You're still holding on to it. And when she said it, it made me think, um, cause we were like, I mean, we were right in the middle of treatments with, um, the second round and, I, I just remember like, that's how I feel like with infertility. It's a, it's the anchor that I, yeah, I've given it to him. Like, yes, we'll have a child when it's time, but whenever I'm experiencing joy, like what you talked about and I am happy, it's like, I'm, I'm, I have to, I like remind myself of my anchor, but, but here's what we're, here's our reality. And like in worship, um, when I'm having a hard time focusing on worship, it's like, okay, let me go find my anchor real quick, which is infertility, not God. And let me, let me, let me sit in that emotion so that I can like approach you today. Um, and it was, it was, he, I just felt like he convicted me. Like, no, when I when, like, give it to me, like you, it's no longer your anchor. I'm your anchor. That's it. Give it to me. And then I will give you beauty in exchange. And I, I did feel a shift. Like I didn't live in that all the time. I was able to experience joy and happiness and not have to go back to why I was having to, like you said, the only way you can have joy is if you're in the middle of hell all around you. Um, because it's like the struggle, but oh, Jesus is good, that kind of thing. And um, it was a really freeing thing when I just gave it up and said like, this is yours. It's not mine to carry. And if I don't think about it for a day, it's okay. I'm allowed to do that. Absolutely. Well, I love your example that you posted. I want you to share it a little bit about Disneyland. <laughs> you did it, I think it was a few days ago, how you had made the decision you guys weren't going to go back until you had kids. Oh, yes. Okay. This is a prime example of how <laughs> I was not choosing, allowing myself to be happy. Um, is that we had gone to Disneyland um, kind of early in our marriage or actually we had gone to Disneyland right before we started trying to have kids. And I had confidently said, this is our last time coming to Disneyland without kids. Like next time we come, we're going to have kids. Um, like fully expecting that I was going to get pregnant the next month and that we would bring a baby back to Disneyland nine months later, 
because Disneyland's one of my favorite places. And so Disneyland with newborns. I mean, come on. That's crazy. <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if it would have been like the wisest of decisions, but we would have had a blast and taken lots of pictures. So, and I, and I just love going to Disneyland. So I never said that thinking that it was going to stop me from doing something I loved, but you know, as time went on and we weren't getting pregnant, I started holding myself to that. Um, and it was almost like I was punishing myself. Like you can't go do this thing because what you want to have happened hasn't happened yet. And, um, just holding myself hostage to unhappiness and feeling like I can't enjoy my life until I get the thing that I've been hoping for. Um, and in the meantime, I will choose this martyr joy life. (laughs) That's not real joy. Um, and so eventually we just kind of, I don't remember like how that decision came about, but I, I said, you know, like, I think we should go. And, um, and it was, oh, it was because we had some embryos banked. So we were about to do, um, a retreat or we were about to do a transfer. And so I was like, well, let's go ride all the rides and everything. Um, because it's going to be my last time. And from that, you know, obviously things didn't go the way that we hoped, but we ended up buying passes and we just decided we're going to go as many times as possible. We go on the weekends all the time. Like we'll like take a day off work and go, we just like, we try to get ourselves there because it's something that we enjoy doing. And it's something that, that I feel like I'm not going to hold myself back from doing the things I love just because one of my prayers hasn't been answered yet. Um, so that's something I'm really grateful for is that we found something that we really love to do. Um, and we're doing that in other things too. It's not just Disneyland. We go on date nights. And like I said, we go to the beach and, um, we're planning some travel coming up. So there's just so many things that I wasn't really allowing myself to do before. And some of it I was actually saying, um, was faith. So I would say, you know, I'm not going to book, um, a trip to go on vacation because I might be pregnant and like, because I'm, you know, I'm believing that I'm going to be pregnant. And so like faith says that, you know, I should prepare my life as if I'm going to be pregnant. So therefore I'm not going to book a vacation. Um, but recently I've gotten some freedom in realizing that people get pregnant all the time with plans in place and they can change their plans. And your average couple is not not booking a vacation on the off chance that they could get pregnant. I've gotten to the point where I'm letting myself make plans, enjoy life, know that anything, everything's changeable if it needs to be. Well, Lauren, I am so glad that I found you on Instagram of all places. You can tell a lot of our worlds revolve around Instagram. But thank you so much for coming on and just sharing how you're not only surviving this, but you are truly thriving. And I love seeing what God is doing in your heart. Thank you. I had such a good time. Okay. That part about doing gratitude gets me right in the heart. And like she said, no matter where we are in the process, we can do that. So I want to encourage you to start to look for God's hand in everything and everyone around us. 
invite Him into our days each morning, and then approach Him with gratitude throughout the day. One of the things I'm grateful for is that six months ago, God allowed me to launch this podcast, and it has brought me so much joy hearing your stories and seeing what God is doing in our lives through the stories of the women I interview. One of the listeners reached out a couple weeks ago because she wanted to share a huge praise, and this is what she said. Thanks to you and so many other women spearheading this movement of dealing with infertility in a biblical way and reminding me where my hope truly lies, today was the first cycle day one in over three years where I wasn't devastated. I didn't spend the day crying and depressed. Instead, was able to rejoice and thank God for another month that He can work in my heart and mind and do miracles. Thank you so much for the podcast and for sharing stories of hope that have helped me change my attitude completely. And that, guys, is what this is all about. Thank you for being on this journey with me. See you in a couple weeks. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the Joint Infertility Podcast. Isaiah 40, 31 says this, Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Remember, God is with you. He sees your heart. He loves you and he is good. There will be beauty born from your journey. Have a great day.